0: I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Everybody's favorite teenager uttered those words back in 1986, and ever since then, Matthew Broderick has been a household name. He started out on the stage and found his way onto the big screen and then back on the stage, then the big screen again and some TV, too. And then back to the stage again. Many producers in Hollywood tried their hardest to mutate this theater nerd into a blockbusting big time kaiju sized mega movie star leading man. But he never quite reached that status. But why? Why did this king of the jungle run away from his throne? Was Ferris growing up just too much for society to handle, like Peter Pan leaving Neverland? Did his involvement in a tragedy interfere with his career? Did his box office intake disappoint the pockets of those producers? Or did he find his way back to where he truly excels? The stage. Wowzers so i vote that we discuss the ups and downs and downs and ups of the life and career of matthew broderick and since my vote matters in this absolutely perfectly safe unriggable election that means that it's actually gonna happen like right now well after i ask the question and that question is what the happened to matthew broderick Before we begin, I just want to say thanks for watching. Please like, share, and subscribe, and click that bell to get those notifications if you enjoy this type of content on the YouTubes. Tell your friends and your family, if you have any. Now it's time to get back to the show! But to truly understand what the f*** happened to Matthew Broderick, we must begin at the beginning, and the beginning began when he was born on his birthday! Manhattan, New York, 1962. After making waves with stellar reviews in many off-Broadway plays, young Matthew would move on up to the big show, starring in Neil Simon's semi-autobiographical 1983 Broadway play Brighton Beach Memoirs, where he would end up winning a Tony Award for best performance by a featured actor in a play at just 21 years old making him, still to this day, the youngest person to ever receive that Tony Award. only I was born Italian. All the best Yankees are Italian. My mother makes spaghetti with ketchup. What chance do I have? (laughs) Broderick would reprise the role for the play's 1985 sequel, Biloxi Blues, as well as star in the big-screen adaptation of that, directed by the legendary Mike Nichols in 1988. With Broderick making a name for himself on Broadway, it was only a matter of time before Hollywood came a-calling. Already being familiar with the dialogue of Neil Simon, Matthew was able to make the easy transition to the big screen. With the Neil Simon-penned 1983 film, Max Dugan Returns, that Roger Ebert, the guy with the thumbs, called watchable. But Broderick's true breakout would be in the 1983 thriller, WAR GAMES. You know what that means, David? No, what does that mean? World War III. This film originally had a much more darker take on the material of war, but the original director was fired just 12 days into production and a new director came in, which made the cast very scared because they thought they were going to be fired next, which I guess added to the whole paranoia vibe of the film. But yeah, War Games, it went on to become a classic. This is a very suspenseful Cold War film, and on just a $12 million budget, it made $124.6 million. Give Matthew Broderick's character a computer and he can do anything. How about a nice game of chess? After being miscast as a 13th century French thief, in Richard Donner's 1985 fantasy cult film Ladyhawk, which was a box office disappointment. Matthew would then appear in one of the greatest 80s teen comedies ever made. No, one of the greatest teen comedies ever made. No, one of the greatest comedies ever made. No, one of the greatest movies ever made. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. John Hughes wrote the script with Matthew Broderick in mind, saying that he was the only actor he could picture in the role. Because, you know, he was clever and charming. And even though Ferris Bueller basically abuses his best friend Cameron, he's still likable for some reason. Only Matthew could pull that off. Critics would call the film a sweet, warm-hearted comedy, with some saying that the performances in the film were Oscar-worthy. On its small $5 million budget, Ferris Bueller was able to rack up over $70 million and became a true classic even being selected for preservation in the National Film Registry at the Library of Congress in 2014. And of course, he would reprise his role in a Super Bowl commercial. This is the perfect character for Matthew to play. It was like everything he had done was building up to this character. He's got a computer like in War Games, and he breaks the fourth wall like it's a Neil Simon play. He was born to play Ferris. Never had one lesson. After making Ferris Bueller, Matthew Broderick and his on-screen sister, Jennifer Grey, began dating in secrecy. However, that secret became public knowledge, when on the evening of August 5th, 1987, Matthew and Jennifer were driving in North Ireland when their car veered into the wrong lane, causing a head-on collision with another vehicle that sadly killed the mother and daughter driving in the other car. Matthew Broderick only recalls waking up in the hospital with no memory of the accident or how his car veered into the other lane. At the crash site, Matthew was reported to have said, Did I hurt them? Did I hurt them? Over and over. He was originally going to be charged with causing death by dangerous driving with a possible five years in prison, but was ultimately convicted of lesser charges of careless driving after it was determined that he was not intoxicated at the time of the crash and he was fined basically the equivalent of 175 dollars which outraged many people they did not feel like justice had been served matthew would need many years of therapy to come to terms with this tragedy and the family members of the women lost have apparently forgiven the actor even though it took quite a few years this was a truly horrible horrible accident tragedy that goes to show that you know life is precious and this kind of stuff can happen to anyone matthew had survived but he was unconscious and had amnesia and was very badly injured and i thought he was dead and i didn't even know there were two other women who were tragically killed the year 1987 would also see matthew broderick star in project x alongside a chimpanzee. The film pulled in middle-of-the-road reviews. It's just one of those nice monkey-boy friendship movies, but, you know, the Air Force is involved this time. Yet, Project X was only able to pull in $21 million off an $18 million budget, and that's without considering the ever-important marketing budget factored in. So yeah, it lost a lot of money, which I bet drove the producers bananas, sorry. And Bob Barker himself, yes, that one, launched accusations of animal cruelty. And we're not sure whether or not they were actually cruel to the animals, but it did cast a dark shadow over Project X. Even though it's a fun movie. Because, you know, monkeys. Matthew Broderick. Project X. Then Matthew Broderick would really move up to the big leagues in terms of cinema. First with a role in Sidney Lumet's $12 million grossing Family Business in 1989 opposite Sean Connery and Dustin Hoffman. And Matthew could hold his own amongst those acting titans, so yeah, that says something. But sadly, Family Business proved to be a failure on all fronts, with critics saying that these three actors did their best with what they had to work with. But Broderick's second film of 1989 would prove to be a bit more successful when he helped Denzel Washington land his first Oscar for the $27 million grossing glory. Probably one of, if not the best, Civil War movie ever made. American Civil War, in case you were wondering which Civil War, because there's so many wars out there that are civil. Matthew Broderick would play true-life Union Colonel Robert Shaw. And at the time, Glory was criticized for casting Ferris Bueller as a Civil War soldier. People didn't think Matthew had that type of range, didn't think he had it in him. But allegedly, Matthew is distantly related, a descendant, of the real Colonel Shaw. So yeah, this character is in his blood. It's kind of perfect casting, actually. And his innocent Ferris face, it actually works in glory. It creates a heartbreaking contrast to what surrounds him, you know, the horrors of war. And it makes those horrors of war even more horrible. And yeah, Denzel Washington deserves all the praise, of course. Morgan Freeman, too. Everybody. But Matthew Broderick really showed us something different. He surprised us all. And it was absolutely glorious. 1990 would see Matthew star opposite the man that many consider the greatest to ever do it, Marlon Brando, in the $21.5 million grossing comedy The Freshman, with critics giving particular praise to Matthew Broderick's performance. Once again, he was called charming, I think Dick Cavett said it best. He said that there are two groups of actors, those who have worked with Brando and those who haven't. I guess you can say that about anyone and anything, but with Brando, it actually feels like it means something. After appearing in back-to-back box office bombs with a $1.6 million grossing Out on a Limb in 1992, and the slightly better $1.9 million grossing The Night We Never Met in 1993, Matthew Broderick would bounce back with the biggest hit of his career, the $968.5 million grossing animated juggernaut The Lion King where he would voice adult Simba, grown-up JTT. From the beginning, the filmmakers knew that Matthew had the perfect voice for this furry king, which is why Matthew was the first actor cast. Critics could see that this film was an instant classic, and as the years have gone by, that's exactly what it turned out to be. Matthew would reprise his voice as adult Simba in the film's direct-to-video sequels, 1998 The Lion King 2: Simba's Pride, and 2004's The Lion King One and a Half. But he was replaced by Childish Gambino in the not-live-action, live-action remake that totally sucked and reminded us how amazing the animated film truly is matthew would finish up 1994 with the palm de tour nominated mrs parker and the vicious circle and the highly underrated film the road to wellville this flick is hilarious and absolutely insane if you like that kind of stuff in 1996 matthew broderick would perfectly play the straight guy opposite jim carrey truly allowing him to go wacky wacky cuckoo in the cable guy and yes, Jim Carrey is hilarious in this one, but the true comedy comes from Matthew's reactions. Just look at those reactions. And you know what? Acting is reacting. <laughs> Despite the cable guy pulling in over $102 million off a $47 million budget, this film was considered a box office disappointment because at the time, Jim Carrey was at the top of his game, and the film starring him was meant to do much, much better, better, more business stuff. Money. It should have made more, which pissed off those producers. The Cable Guy actually has a darker tone than most people were expecting, which really threw a lot of critics and the audience off. Some couldn't get past it. They called it bizarre and creepy. But yeah, that's the fing point. Of course, in the years since the release of The Cable Guy, it has become a true cult classic and has finally earned the respect it deserves decades later. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Oh, the, oh. the hell is wrong with you, man? Oh. After dipping his toe into directing and producing, A film called Infinity, it made less than $200,000, and it was written by his mother. He would also appear opposite Meg Ryan in the $34.7 million grossing Addicted to Love in 1997. But then Matthew would give the big summer tentpole a chance by appearing in Roland Emmerich's reimagined Godzilla. In 1998, this film was not championed by those pesky critics who said that in order to enjoy the film, you must repress any intelligent thought, which is probably why I loved it so much in 1998. But yeah, this is a big mess of a movie that doesn't really make any sense. But you know, just take your brain out and you'll have some fun, even though it's like totally like disrespectful to the legacy and mythos of Godzilla. This movie was expected to open to over $100 million domestically during its Memorial Day opening weekend, but it only managed a $44 million opening. However, those international audiences ate this thing up, which allowed Zilla to make $379 million worldwide. And yeah, I know this version of Godzilla gets a lot of hate, and it deserves it. Matthew Broderick does just fine, It's kind of interesting to see, like, a nerd get thrown into a action hero scenario. But yeah, this one has gone down in infamy as, you know, being really bad. But the animated series is actually surprisingly good for what it is. But Matthew Broderick had nothing to do with that. So why am I talking about it? I don't know. I just thought I should. Then came the year 1999, the greatest year for movies ever, and one of those great movies was Election, where we would see Matthew Broderick on the other side of the student-teacher relationship, opposite Reese Witherspoon. Election is directed by master filmmaker Alexander Payne, and it is genuinely hilarious. A frickin' brilliant script. Unfortunately, it only made $17 million when it was released, but this film has gone on to be highly respected, with Entertainment Weekly naming it one of the 50 best high school movies ever made, even though Election is like so much more than just a high school movie. It's a brilliant, dark, twisted tale about the human condition that just happens to take place in a high school. Did I mention it's hilarious too? And casting Ferris Bueller as the teacher is perfect. It shows how much this actor has grown and that he, you know, can do more. Even though director Alexander Payne said that he has never seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He just really admires the acting skills of Matthew Broderick. He would follow that up with the big screen adaptation of Inspector Gadget. Also in 1999, the best year for movies ever but not because of Inspector Gadget. This film was a bomb and all those producers lost millions and millions and millions and millions of buckaroos. Even as a child in 1999, I thought that the casting of Matthew was always a bit off to me. I had watched the cartoons, and then when I saw the poster and the trailer, I was like, him? But, you know, whatever, Matthew tries his best. (laughs) And after the great disappointment that was Inspector Gadget, Matthew was kind of done with the movies. At least for a while, it was time for him to get back to his theater roots, with roles on Broadway, in the productions of Night Must Fall and Taller Than a Dwarf. However, in 2001, he would take on the role that would earn him his most widespread acclaim, and a Tony nomination that he would lose to his co-star, Nathan Lane, for the stage adaptation of Mel Brooks' hit film, The Producers. He would play Leopold Bloom in the play, as well as the 2005 big screen adaptation. However, the movie was... kind of a disappointment. The material was far more suited for the stage, even though it's based off of a movie, and audiences only showed up to the producers to a tune of $38 million off a $45 million budget. So yeah, the producers actually was a failure, which if they were doing the producers Scheme means it was a success, so yay! I'm wet! But yeah, all the praise he got from the producers must have reignited his passion for the theater, as he would go on to appear in 16 more plays over the years including highly acclaimed performances in the Broadway productions of The Odd Couple, The Philanthropist, Nice Work If You Can Get It, Sylvia, Oh Hello on Broadway, as a guest, Evening at the Talk House in 2017, and the latest one, Neil Simon's Plaza Suite, currently running at the famed Hudson Theatre on Broadway, get your tickets now, where he stars opposite his wife of 25 years, Sarah Jessica Parker, I love it when things go full circle. Matthew got his start in a Neil Simon production back in the 80s. And he's doing another Neil Simon right now in the 2020 2022s And seeing him alongside his wife, it's just, it's just so nice. Look at that. The stage loves you, Matthew. And so does Sarah Jessica Parker. We thank you and we love you. Thank you so much. Broderick has had a great balancing act with his career. In addition to his plentiful stage work, he was also getting lots of guest starring roles on several popular TV shows, such as 30 Rock, Modern Family, BoJack Horseman, Roseanne, I mean the Connors, Saturday Night Live, Rick and Morty, and Better Things while still doing the occasional movie, such as the 2006 not-quite-Christmas classic, Deck the Halls, opposite Danny DeVito, and the Helen Hunt directorial debut, Then She Found Me. While he would finish out the decade with roles in The Stepford Wives in 2004, Jerry Seinfeld's B-movie in 2007, diminished capacity in 2008, Finding Amanda, also in 2008, and The Tale of Desperu. He would kick off the next decade by starring in the $9,000 grossing Wonderful World in 2010, followed by a film called Margaret in 2011, directed by his old high school friend, Kenneth Lonergan. Then they would squeeze Matthew into the cast of Tower Heist alongside many comedy legends. Critics called it Fun Fluff followed by some cameos in New Year's Eve, playing the tongue-in-cheek character Mr. Buellerton, and Trainwreck, playing himself. Then in 2016, he would reunite with his high school buddy, Kenneth Lonergan, for the extremely emotional and powerful, possibly one of the saddest movies ever, Manchester by the Sea, where Matthew Broderick and the rest of the cast would receive a Screen Actors Guild Award nomination for outstanding performance by a cast in a motion picture. That's some prestigious work there, Matthew. While these past few years you would be more likely to find Matthew Broderick appearing on the stage in New York or London, he has still managed to keep up appearances in films, like in 2016's American Side and Warren Beatty's Rules Don't Apply and 2018's To Dust Wonder Park in 2019, Love is Blind, also in 2019, and something called Lazy Susan in 2020. So yeah, he's still out there, working his butt off to entertain us peasants. But nothing the size of Godzilla anymore, which is probably a good thing. Mr. Matthew was never meant to be that kind of leading man. His skills belong where his heart is, his true love, the stage and his true love Sarah Jessica Parker. And yeah, 25 years married. And you know, in Hollywood years, that equals forever. It's complicated. It was? I don't remember. You we're not going to talk about this part. This is the part we don't talk about. Matthew Broderick will probably forever be known as Ferris Bueller, which is fine by him. But he has also carved out a career playing vastly different characters. And his stage work is the stuff of legend. He made headlines early in his career for both his talent and a tragic accident. But he was able to bounce back, and has been one of the most reliable movie stars of the past 30 years. He's one of those actors that you just smile when you see him pop up on the screen. You're like, oh yeah, Matthew's in this. Everything's gonna be alright. Sarah Jessica Parker said herself, that she is very proud of the man that Ferris Bueller grew up to be. And here at the Joe Blow Movie Network, so are we. So nobody should give a fuck about what the f*** happened to Matthew Broderick, because he's doing just fine. It's over. Go home.